0: Hey, welcome to Progressions, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ference, and this is episode number 36. This week, we've got a fun guest, a good friend and client of mine. But before we get to that, I wanted to go deeper on a quote that I brought up a few episodes ago from Warren Buffett. Invest in yourself, address whatever you feel your weaknesses are, and do it now. Warren has been quoted so many times saying variations of, the best investment you can make is in yourself. And I completely agree. Yes, it can sound a bit cheese, but it's true. And you're probably already doing this all the time. You might watch production tips videos on YouTube, or you might be paying for private instruction on your instrument. You might not think of these things as investing in yourself, but they are. An investment in yourself does not require spending money. That's the best part. Although there are definitely a plethora of online courses and various coaches or trainers in every field that you can pay for these days. And I fully encourage you to explore those things when it's time, because I think when you are in a one-on-one with a person or participating in a small online workshop or community of people, you will engage your attention further than you would when you're on your own. So now just for a second, and to support my argument for investing in yourself, I'm going to get a little opinionated here. And this is based solely on my experiences and the people I've interacted with over the years. Here's why it is your responsibility to invest in yourself and why you need to do it. One. I spoke about it in episode 33. You are the only one that is responsible for closing your gaps. That's the easy one. But two, I think you might take your education for granted. And anything that you take for granted is definitely not something you take full value from. I think that a lot of the issue is built inherently into the education system. See, to mass educate people, you need to determine the key building blocks and decide how to optimally convey that information to a broad range of people. Not a task I want to sign up for. That sounds like one of the most challenging things you could do. So here's the problem. In my opinion, remember we're in my opinion right now, a lot of people complete their education thinking that they are done and all set up for success. They now have everything they need to live the rest of their lives. This is completely not true. When you finish your formal education, it's the equivalent of graduating from a white belt in martial arts. You are just at the beginning of your journey. You've been given all the building blocks to decide what your interests and passions are and the tools to continually learn and advance in that field. You did not receive the keys to success. You are only being given the tools. Okay, so that being said, this is why you need to invest in yourself in whatever way you see fit. If it's free videos on YouTube, fine. If it's books or online courses, good. If it's working with coaches or trainers, great. But the learning has to continue. Now, some of you might be saying, I graduated college 15 years ago. Well, this still applies to you, and I personally know that for a fact. It applies to everyone at any point in their career. If you invest time or money into your own skill development, I guarantee that it will pay you massive dividends. Musicians already do it all the time. As I mentioned earlier, you shed your instrument, you practice your scales, you learn techniques. These are all investments in you. They might not seem like it because you're just playing guitar, but that is an investment of your time into your abilities. So you need to take that same philosophy into other aspects of your career. Over the years, I've spent thousands of dollars on investments in myself. Now, I fought it and I was resistant to it because I never thought I needed more education. I graduated from college. How could I need more education? And now that I've done it, and actively chose to invest my time and money into my own growth, I don't regret a second or a penny of it. And I can definitely say with full confidence that every dollar spent returned two or more. Now, I did research and put thought into it though. I looked for what my gaps were and what I needed to learn or work on and I found a resource that would help. Think about it. If you walk into Guitar Center for a new guitar pedal, you don't just ask for one guitar pedal, please. You went in there because you needed a specific tone to fill your pedalboard out. You needed a fuzz face style distortion or a stereo chorus or whatever it is. This is the same thing. You're just trying to fill a gap in your own toolbox. Now, if you're an avid listener of the show, I might be preaching to the choir on this one, but maybe this is your first time or maybe you're a recent college grad. It is graduation time right now. Maybe you're thinking about what's next. What can I do to keep getting better? Well, this is what you can do. And like I said before, it doesn't have to start with money. It can just be your time. Dedicate some time to working on something you need to learn every week. Or dedicate time to expanding your business. Invest your own time in yourself until you reach your limits. Then go outside and look for resources that can help you level up even further. And at that point in your career, you are probably making money and you have an income that you can peel off a budget for this. And don't forget the fun fact to these continuing education expenses they're likely a business expense and a tax write-off as well. So in closing, don't take your education for granted and assume that you were set up for and deserving of success just because you completed it. Education is unfortunately not equal in every part of the world. And depending on where you live, the education you've received may be a privilege that others did not have access to. So the fact that it could potentially be taken for granted is frightening. So use the tools you've been given to continue to grow and succeed and then in turn to help others grow and succeed. Today's guest is songwriter, producer, multi-instrumentalist, and recording artist Davis. Davis combines classic songwriting sensibility with uncategorizable and unabashedly unique musical choices. His music has been placed on various TV shows for networks such as CBS and MTV, featured in video games such as Far Cry 5, and used in advertising, most notably for Miller Lite. Nine of his releases have debuted on the Los Angeles rock radio staple K-Rock. He's also played Stevie Wonder's Birthday Party, and he's been signed as a songwriter to Ryan Tedder. So we've got plenty to talk about. Welcome to the show, Davis. Hey, man, how are you? Thanks for having me, Travis. Yeah. Dude, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm I'm great, man. I'm excited to hang out.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, I just wanted to say before we begin, we're old friends pretty much at this right. point. And so... I thought, you know, if you don't mind, why don't we just start as we always do on conversations with mix notes? <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I, I just got to gotta type them out as you read them. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that we do like 12 hour mix sessions. Well back in the day when we were in the same room and uh, about eight of those are, are hanging out and four of them are mixing and then we realized we didn't finish the song. <laughs> totally. Totally. I love
1: it though. I mean, it, you know mixing working with you like in person you know nothing beats that i mean your your studio had a great vibe you always had a good vibe and like just the energy of working in person is just so much you know it's it's like i guess you can't replace that but we kind of found a way you know like some of the recent songs we've worked on together like over the phone and doing stuff you know over the computer it's kind of worked out pretty
0: good yeah no it's been great so many people they get concerned about like uh you know, working with somebody in the room, whether you're like a producer or mixer or mastering engineer, but there is so much lost in translation when people are like texting thoughts and notes and like, even a verbal communication can be confusing. It's like the facial thing and the energy in the room, like really, you know, makes things much more understandable.
1: Dude, a hundred percent. And especially too, as like, if you're like a songwriter and producer by the way hey thank you for that intro that was lovely <laughs> um i'm i'm humbled uh, by that a lot of times you're 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 trying to convey feeling when you're you know you're talking to a mixer you're talking to a mix engineer or pr- another producer you're, you're talking you're using like kind of weird almost like ethereal words and like vibey words as opposed to like Hey, can you send it to this mix bus? Or hey, can you use dual compression on the, you know, as far as like technical stuff, like I've never been good at speaking technically. So I'm always just like, hey, I want to feel the guitars more, you know, (laughs) but it doesn't necessarily mean like turn them up. It might mean EQ them or it might mean
0: fake it and just tell me you did (laughs) it. I'm just like. (laughs) No mixer or producer has ever faked anything. Never. But
1: I mean, yeah, when you're in the room, like, you know, you and I have collaborated so much over the years now, and like, just being in the room with you was was always awesome because like, I could say, I could use kind of like weird vibey language or talk about a feeling and you would kind of translate that and be like, how about this? Or how about that? And then I'd be like, oh,
0: okay, yes, <laughs> you got it, you know? <laughs> yeah, working in music, it's definitely a, uh, there's a level of translation. Yes. Dude, so... so uh, roads has been out for about a month that's your latest single right yes how's that doing i mean that's one of my personal favorites so
1: thanks man and props to you on the mix by the way the mix sounds awesome uh, i think that's that's one of my favorite of like our collaborations you know what i mean um just musically but uh the song's doing good it's it's actually kind of rising exponentially on youtube you know all that that's were my main fan bases these days. And, uh, the kids really like it. And, um, they're really kind of resonating with not only the feeling of the song, but the lyrics too. Cause that song's interesting. It has like, it has a calming, um, in my opinion, like a relaxing kind of calming meditative feeling to it. But the lyrics are kind of, kind of dark, you know, and kind of personal. So, um, it's an interesting balance, but, the reaction's been really good and surprising you know i thought there's so many songs where you think people won't care about it and then they do and you're like oh wow that's welcome you know (laughs) like it's a pleasant surprise
0: thank you welcome to davis exactly i want to talk about like how you got started in music but since we're talking about youtube that's been a big like growth place for you over the last year or so right definitely i mean um
1: you know i started about
0: two years ago
1: i said in my mind i was like i want to grow spotify and youtube that was going to be my focus and like just through almost kind of like a little bit of blind luck a little bit of like just meeting kind of different like a youtuber friend of mine who happens to be kind of well known and just also the song i wrote home coming out right before like quarantine just all of that was like kind of a perfect storm for me to like focus on the youtube and build it and of course like having to stay at home you know during covid like there were no gigs so i could just do more live stuff on youtube oh cool and actually it's been like really rewarding i mean the last live stream i did where i play songs and talk to the fans like you know i had more i guess people in the audience, quote unquote audience, right? Like than I've ever had at a gig, you know what I mean? <laughs> like playing on YouTube and doing the live session and just chatting with fans about like, you know, sports or fucking soccer or anything. Like it was way more engaging and way more meaningful than like playing to like five people at Hotel Cafe.
0: Right. Oh yeah, totally. You know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> You've grown like a huge fan base from YouTube in India, right? So you're not playing live to people in India anyway. Mm-hmm. So the YouTube thing's perfect for you.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that was, that was really surprising too. Um just uh, kind of luck of the draw. And, you know, for whatever reason, my music kind of connected with, uh, you know, fans over there in India. And um, they're amazing. I mean, the people over there have been just so sincere and so uh, inspiring. And just the, the comments and the messages they send me are like, some of the most like touching messages I've ever gotten. Amazing. Yeah, you know, having, you know, been on tour before throughout america having like you know done the the la grind inside and out every venue in la like you get good responses here and there but like i don't know these kids in india right now have just been so like just amazing and it's like it's like really truly humbling you that's know? cool man that's great
0: let's talk yeah. davis in the beginning how'd you get into yes. music did you grow up playing when you were a kid
1: Yeah. I picked up guitar at age 12, you know, my generation, it was like hearing bands like Nirvana and the strokes. It was just like, all right, that's what you do. Grab a guitar. And then, you know, took guitar lessons and got into things like Chuck Berry and the blues and Robert Johnson, and then like studied guitar, you know, throughout high school or whatever. And then, you know, in college just kind of wanted to be in a band. So I formed different bands and then, um, excuse me, after college I started a band, you know and pursued that in a very serious kind of way like a careerist finally not just playing like college parties but like let's go on tour let's try to get a record deal that yeah. whole thing and that band we actually you know we did tours we did uh we played i played on mtv i was on a tv show called the buried life performing live in that band and then when that band disbanded i kind of started going solo. And then that led toward this project, just Davis, you know?
0: So uh, have you always been the front man, main writer, even in that band? Or was it more of a band band?
1: No. At that time, when the band first started, I wasn't the singer. There was a female singer. And uh, she stopped showing up. She started flaking out. And it was like, I was playing lead guitar and kind of writing the music, you know? And it was just like, well, if you're not going to show up, then like someone's got to get up there. And I'm already writing some of the lyrics and, you know, most of the music. So I kind of just used the band and learned how to sing. Really, it was just kind of like, fuck it, I'll do it. No one else wants to do it. And then that, you know, I really started getting deeper into songwriting and realizing like, shit, if I'm writing something that's really meaningful to me, I'm kind of the only one who can sing it, you know, and that's that's been the path so far. I mean, every song I write now, you know, right now in 2021, like it's for me, you know. I only write in with my voice in mind, if that makes totally. sense. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: Well, that's always been like uh, one of the standout, like I guess core values that you've had, at least in our relationship. What you want to do and like the Davis concept is always like front and center for you. And it's like, obviously yeah. your passion and you're not worried about writing for other people or writing a song just for a TV spot. It's like you do Davis and and that's what you do. And it's epic. A lot of people like, you know, they split their time too much which you've probably done a little bit of in the past did you like early on you mentioned the uh what'd you say the los angeles the game or whatever like well, when you came to la like what game are you talking about for people that yeah. don't know
1: okay so yeah for people that don't know la is uh is a bubble right it's its own kind of like unique world it's it's the hub of the entertainment industry and music is a huge part of that but uh It's a grind, you know, you go to L.A. or at least for me. All right. So my story started playing in L.A. I started grinding and playing clubs like pretty much exclusively in Hollywood. That led me to like a two year stint of playing exclusively at one club in Hollywood called the Sayers Club. Oh, yeah, I played multiple nights a week. We played late. We would do multiple sets. Um, I would do covers and originals and just play private events and just, you know, random club nights and stuff. And, uh, that was like the, almost like a boot camp for me as a performer, because that crowd was the hardest to impress. (laughs) If you're, if it's like Friday night in Hollywood and you know, you're playing at a club and there's celebrities in the room, you know, God forbid there's a celebrity there as a performer. Oh my God, you got to really like step it up to try to get people's attention, you know? Um, no diss on celebrities, but it's just like, if they're there, then, you know, the crowd is going to be all on that, you know, and, um, they're not going to care or give a fuck about the band because like just random shit, you know, like Dita Von Teese is here. Oh my God. You know, like forget the band. Um, no, no diss on her, but anyway, so you, I had to like cut my teeth and learn like, you know, how to like win people over who were like distracted as all hell, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so I spent two years doing that exclusively, And that's what led, you know, you mentioned the intro, intro playing for Stevie Wonder. That's what actually led to the gig. I played for Stevie Wonder. Um, I played Sayers Club so long that his daughter would come to the club and she would just watch, she's a music lover. So she would watch the band watch the artists or whatever. She wanted to throw a private event for her dad, Stevie Wonder, AKA God himself. Right. You know, like, and she said, well, why don't we get, you know, some of the We'll pick some of the musicians who performed here, and I was one of them. And so uh, when I eventually did that gig for Stevie Wonder, it was like I played for him, his close family, and his band. You know, which are all like the fucking best musicians on the planet. You no know?
0: pressure. No pressure.
1: Yeah, no pressure, right? And I'm up there, like I played a Chuck Berry song. I played a Buddy Holly song. Um, and uh, just that's what his daughter requested, you know? That was single-handedly like the maybe the most nerve wracking gig, but also the most like exciting and rewarding experience just to kind of meet him and him say like, that sounded good, man. You know, just like <laughs> in his like a voice. And it was just, uh, it was amazing. And then we all jammed with, uh, some of his band came up and we all kind of jammed together. And, uh, that was just a crazy night. And so anyway, sorry, going back to like the LA grind thing, I mean, it's, LA is such a, it, it's like such a weird little bubble where you like, you know, I was grinding in Hollywood for two years, but then I ended up playing a gig like that. And you're like, oh my God, that's, it's worth it. All that work to just then play such a special event. You're like, all right, I must be doing something right. yeah You know, but the next night you'll play somewhere like Hotel Cafe and uh, yeah, there won't be five people there, you know, and you'll be like, okay, instantly back to like, the humbling state of like, I'm an independent nobody. Um, and don't I know it tonight? You know, last night I was like a rock star. I was equal to Stevie Wonder in my, you know, at <laughs> that moment. But the next night, oh God, I'm right back down in the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that kind of answer. Yeah,
0: yeah. I feel like that's how Hollywood is. It's an epic roller coaster. And it's so, yeah. I don't want to say it's distracting. I want to say it's distracted. You know, like you kind of like tapped on that, like, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're, you're performing or you're working in a studio, like there's something about that. I don't know. It's like really exciting and severely draining all at the same time. Yes. Yes. Totally. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Totally. I
1: mean, dude, especially like from the performance side for me, it was like, I was playing gigs sometimes after 2am, like after hours, you know? And it's like, that's late, dude. And then like, crazy shit. So that would just be like run-of-the-mill night. Okay, I played super late, got out of the club at like 3 a.m. and I'm tired, dog tired, gotta drive back to Orange fucking County, which is an hour away. But then another night, you'd play you know, late set and like the club would close, but then someone like Prince would show up and then he'd want to jam. And you'd be just like, well, I gotta stick around, I guess, and watch Prince play like till 6 a.m. you know, or whatever. But like it was such a mind fuck and it's like, and mine, in <laughs> mine field, like that's like you said, that's how Hollywood is. It's like, everyone's super distracted and it's like hyper competitive, but like you end up in these weird scenarios where you're like surrounded by like, you know, super like successful or famous people, but you're not one of them, but you're, you're like sharing a moment. I don't know. It's very weird.
0: It is. It is very much like that. It's, there's a lot of carrot on the stick moments followed by like, you know, just, absolute you know disasters just left and right it's just i think that's i haven't been in hollywood obviously for more than a year with covid but uh yeah it's it's quite a quite a place i recommend everybody look at it once yeah maybe don't don't stay there too long but check it out yeah definitely i mean
1: it's it can be a black hole you know you can get it you can i've seen a lot of musicians just kind of do the hollywood thing and and you know in hopes of making it and uh just never leave hollywood and just get sucked into that world and like you know, you kind of, it. I would say as a musician, it's play every club there once or twice just for the experience, but um, don't stay there too long because yeah, it could can, it can burn you out for sure.
0: If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Well, kind of along those lines, you were talking, you're doing the grind, right? You're playing all these late nights. You're doing some covers, some originals. You're playing to distracted people. Like, you're probably not actually winning over a lot of fans, you know, for every show that you're playing. Was it hard to balance, like, finding the thing that was an outlet for people to find Davis versus playing a gig for, you know, money on a Friday night at 2 a.m.?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you... you. You hit the nail on the head there, man. It's like, uh, you know, I played like a packed club, but like, you know, if I checked the numbers, I went home and checked my Instagram followers. Well, I didn't gain like two or three, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, yeah. so it's like this weird kind of, uh, disconnect. And, um, yeah, you're not a lot of times in LA. So for, for people who, you know, aren't familiar with the LA music scene, like the local scene, like, it's very competitive. So a lot of times you're playing a room and only other people in the room are other musicians in bands also trying to make it. And so a lot of them look at you as like a competition, you know, and that's, you know, morally, I don't subscribe to that. I think there's enough room in music for everyone, but the energy, right. I mean, it's like it just, everyone can write a song and do whatever they want. Like there's room, but A lot of people don't believe that. And they look at everything as like a competition. So, you know, you'll end up playing like, you know, the satellite or something. You know, I, I did a residency at the satellite and even bands I asked to play, like to open for me at the residency were like dicks, you know, like it was like, like, you know, backstage or whatever, just kind of like cool guys. And, um, I'm like, I won't throw anyone names, but like, it was like, dude, bro, like, who cares? Like, we're at the satellite, you know, like, just come on, man. Like wherever you go, there you are. And this is where we are tonight. You know, it's like, you don't need to be like a competitive, cool guy to me. I'm just another band like you. We're in this together. But that's (laughs) kind (laughs) of LA.
0: So something else that you've had a lot of success in is, uh, is television and licensing and sync. Do you have any, thoughts on why you connected so much in that world or or how that came about
1: man it's like every time you land a big sink it feels like it's out of nowhere you know it's like (laughs) you grind (laughs) i pitch songs every day for sinks you know what i mean and they're looking for something i'm like i got it you want a song about coming together i literally have a song called together here we go but you get denied you know 99 of the time like people just say, no, not right, not right, not right. But then, you know, one out of a hundred, they just so happens they need something left of center. And that's where I come in because, you know, my music objectively is pretty left. Like I, I make rock music in 2021, which is already pretty kind of left of center. (laughs) I write quirky lyrics that are, you know, inspired by like, I don't know, the Beatles or Bob Dylan or John Lennon. It's like not many people are going for that right now. And, uh, you know, the production is a little bit wacky and sample based. So like my stuff's weird, but if it's you know, if a sink, they need weird, I'm the guy, you know, it's like, that's, that's like kind of my niche and how I've landed sinks over the years. It's like, if you are looking for left of center, like truly not like, Oh, we want something like Billie Eilish. She's so weird. No, 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 no. She's like right up the middle. It's like, if you want something truly left, like I'm the guy, you know, and uh, I think that's how I've landed some of the syncs you mentioned, you know, in the intro.
0: Yeah, I think that the unique thing stands out to music supervisors because you also have to think like, I mean, you know, a few years ago, like everything had to have stomps and claps and a woohoos yes. and you get like 75 of those in your inbox and in your music supervisor and then Davis comes on. Yeah, it's like a refreshing change. Oh, thanks, man. That's, I feel like that
1: might be the case on the sinks that I've landed, you know, because a lot of times the feedback I've gotten from music soups have just been like, oh, this is, this is really different. I'm going to hold on to this for the right opportunity that comes along. And so when I landed the theme song to a CBS show, the song I wrote was just, I wanted to just write a song, write a good song, you know, whatever, just a personal song. And it just so happened to fit for that show, like two years later, you know, after I wrote it, I wasn't writing to pitch in that genre or that type of show, which like so many artists right now or songwriters kind of get into that game where, like you mentioned, they're writing with production in mind for whatever's hot right now, whether it was whistles a few years ago or stomps, or they're writing with like themes in mind because they read, you know, kind of almost like a bullet point, whatever it's called the the cassandra report or
0: the, the brief know, there's like
1: a thing that goes the brief right that goes around and it says like all ads are going to be looking for songs like this so hey songwriters can you write a song about this and then you get like you know a thousand dudes all writing the same song and like that's their grind and it works for some of them but for me i don't i've never approached music that way and uh You know, anytime I've I've dabbled in that, I've failed. So I just stopped, you
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for for people that are independent artists and they're looking to get into the sync game, because I know like over the last year without touring, so many people like dove hard into sync. Do you think um, was it a long road of building relationships for you and like really meeting people that are making shows and then, you know, reaching out authentically like, hey, here's a, a song I love. I don't know if it works for you. Is that better advice than just, you know, blindly sending tracks to people
1: yeah i mean for me anyway like the type of music i make it's it, because it's left of center and it's more nuanced like i have to be a little more careful when i pitch it to people i know or maybe even people i don't know like a cold call i kind of try to do research and be a little bit more informed on like let's say for example it's a certain type of tv show like back in the day uh the walking dead was looking for songs it was a big thing and they were they were adding like original songs, not, not like compositions, like for the show, they were actually looking for like original music. And, um, I, you know, talked to the music supervisor and, um, you know, I was kind of carefully pitching stuff, nothing worked, but I was like, Hey, I think this, I've watched the show enough. I know what artists you've used, like this song might fit. Yeah. Generally that has helped me, but at the same time, like, Things had just come out of the fucking blue, you know, like uh, the Miller Lite thing was just out of the random, like out of the blue. They'd heard one of my songs. They liked it. They just thought it fit. They hit us up. You know, it was like that simple. That's how it is. I mean, it's almost like writing songs. Like you spent hours every day, like working on it or working toward it. And then like you luck out, like all of a sudden, oh, a good song came in 10 minutes. Well, that's because I spent hundreds of hours writing mediocre songs. The sink thing, I approach it the same or any kind of career move, I approach it the same way where it's like I'll grind and grind and grind. And then a good opportunity will just come up based on like hours of working of groundwork, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. Well, it's like the old entrepreneur thing of all those failures are all things you're learning and then you get the one big win. So, yes, it takes a long time to break through. It takes a long time to hone a craft. Takes practice. Speaking of practice and consistency mm. that's like your thing you're consistently releasing music yeah how do you make sure that you have the time and that you're far enough ahead to like continue to release Davis constantly
1: yeah um it's hard because I'm just one guy you know I'm writing everything myself I'm playing all the instruments and producing all the stuff like it takes a while to finish the song and then I have a partner who does all the visual side of things So for the YouTube channel, all the official music videos, all the lyric videos, all that kind of stuff. And that takes time too. So how do you balance it? Oh dude, it's just like, I try to stack tracks. You know, I try to like plan ahead. If I can just kind of like finish songs as fast as possible. You know, you mix them, get them mastered, boom, they're there. We'll put them out when it's the time makes sense, you know? It's hard I haven't I wish I could move faster on the production end compared to like my songwriting like I can write faster than I can produce if that makes sense, yeah, totally so um a lot of times I have like demos, just guitar and vocals just stowed away you know in logic or whatever, just for that day I can finally get around to the production and that was something I just learned from you know different producers or songwriters I worked with over the years like. I kind of learned from them a little bit, like how to stack, just stack tracks, stack ideas, like finish songs, put them away, get to them, you know, when you have time and just always be writing like as much as possible, you know, so I don't know if that kind of fully answers the question, but.
0: No, totally. Um, The the other thing I wanted to ask you about is you've had a couple publishing deals or or just. So I want to talk about those a little bit, but before we dig into that, do you have any thoughts for a kid that, thinks like a publishing deal is going to change the game for him? Like what are the pros and the cons? What are the things mm. that people should be wary of? Yeah. Yeah. Any, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I've had two pub deals in my whole career and the first one was terrible. And that was like, whoops, I signed the first deal that came to me, which you should never do, never sign the first deal. And I did. And, uh, and it kind of bit me in the ass, you know, but that was like, Early 20s, it was right out of college, I was just kind of like, yeah, all right, let's go, you know. Um, <laughs> let's get <laughs> let's get them on the money train. Um, but uh, no regrets on that. I definitely learned a lot. And it's it, and any songs tied up in that agreement, they were some of my earliest songs. So it's like, it served its purpose at the time, you know, I'm not too butthurt about it. But in recent times, like, I've turned down more publishing deals than I've accepted. And that's not because I'm so awesome, everybody wants to work with me. It's because um I'm pretty like <laughs> I'm pretty careful about who I like to work with, you know like I've had so many, should I say like kind of bad experiences that I if I get even like a, a a whiff of something similar to a past bad experience, I just run the opposite direction. you know so like, if someone hits me up. And they're like yeah hey man we want to get you we got this brand new publishing company and we're like you know under we're, we're under the universal umbrella you know and uh but it's brand new we just started and we're working with these artists and and you look at the fine print and you look at the actual like percents or whatever and you go shit, i'm giving away like most of my publishing most of my ownership for no money what what's in it for me like i'm not just like from a greedy like what's well, in it for me it's like why would i sign this you know i could just if i believe in my songs that much then like why would i tie it up in a bad deal i'd rather just own it 100% and just see what happens on my own does that make sense
0: totally well have you ever had uh we, this is something we've never actually talked about in all of our our hanging and ranting yeah. have you ever had a deal where you had an anr person that was like really invested in you or because i feel like what i've heard from a lot of people is it really depends on when you sign a deal the kind of person that you're working yeah. with if they really believe in you and, and they the one that found you and they're stoked then you're in a good spot yeah like if you just signed a deal randomly because you had two percent of something because you stopped in to like drop something off for somebody and you spit <laughs> yeah. out a lyric yeah like you get you get no attention and that's not helpful for you because you need yeah. the attention it's like a it's a label and essentially. 100% man.
1: I think anyone, when you're building a team, whether it's on the publishing side or maybe the management side or your your record label or whatever, like that's where I've been frustrated along the way is I haven't, I have never had people who truly believed in it. A lot of times I I worked with and, you know, mistakes I made was I was too quick to work with people who were kind of like fair weather A&R guys or fair weather managers who were like, yeah, you're kind of a roots rock thing. That's popping off right now. You know, you're kind of like a uh, Nathaniel Ratcliffe. You're like that. Let's go. Like, you know, we can just, we can slot you in. And, uh, you know, I naively thought like, all right, great. Yeah, that's cool. I am kind of like that. And yeah, just slot me in. But, um, if you don't get that full attention and people are just kind of like blowing smoke at you, then like, you're better off just not working with them. You
0: know, I agree completely.
1: In my experience, I've just learned like, if you're going to work with someone who's only going to devote half the energy to you, then you're better off not working with them. Why collaborate on a half ass project? You're going to get fucking shitty results, you
0: know? Totally. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah I, I agree completely. I, I think a lot of people, and it's t- talked about it on the show a lot, they get excited about a thing and they sign a deal with somebody yeah. and then they regret it in the end because. There are unfortunately a lot of predatory people out there and yeah. if they get a whiff of something working like, Oh, you got a sync. You did good. You got some streams. Okay, cool. Check this piece of paper out. You want to sign this? Yeah. It sucks. It sucks for, for kids that are getting a break and they're super excited and it's a bummer.
1: But- yeah. I mean, I I try to like, I'm, I'm kind of like a math brain. Um, so I try to just run the numbers that kind of helps too. So like I just denied a deal that came to me and it was like, you know, let's say, I'll just say X amount of dollars for one of my songs. And they're like, we want to, you know, co-own this. It was like a pub deal for one song, but we're going to help promote it on Spotify. And um, it's kind of the new model, whatever is going around, you know? And uh, I just ran the numbers. I said, okay, you're offering this amount of money. Let me look at my track record on my own, my royalties from Spotify, YouTube, etc." cetera. And it was like, what you're offering me is something I could earn in four to five months on my own so like yeah money up front is nice but i could just be patient and earn it myself in four or five months and still own the song completely you know yeah and work it and hustle it and grow it on my end you know what i mean so i don't know i mean god the industry the industry changes you know it's the funny thing about the music biz um is every, it's like every year there's like a new model, right? It's like, oh, okay, we're doing it like this now. And oh my God, it's so different. That was the way we used to do it. Now we do it like this, but the common thread and, and that all that matters is the nitty gritty as far as like contracts and distribution. Like we used to print CDs. Now we do Spotify. Oh, we used to do Spotify. Now we do the new thing, whatever's going to be the new thing. But at the end of the day, the common threads are like, are you working with people who are passionate about it? Period are you working with people who actually have connections, like actually can make phone calls for you? Yeah. And is it a good product? I mean, is it fresh? Is it original? Or is it just, are you kind of just trying to sound like whatever's hot right now, you know?
0: Yeah, well, I I wanted to highlight the thing you said, are there people that can make connections for you? And that was something, I think my guest um, a week ago that the episode that came out basically said that, like, you know, if you're working with somebody they need to be able to fill a gap that you have you know like if you yeah. don't know sync people you should be working with somebody that knows sync people like if you don't need help on radio then don't hire radio people like yeah fi- find find the people that complete your team and and fill the gaps and and that believe like you yeah. said they have to believe in your music too it's you know it's got to be mandatory yeah and i
1: mean um you know for me as like i don't know maybe it comes from like the artist side of my brain or the songwriter side but like I really like new ideas. I like fresh perspectives. I like forward thinking people. So um, one of the mistakes I made in the past was like, I had a management team for about three years that was a huge management company, right? I mean, they represent some of the biggest artists like Pharrell or Nicki Minaj or whatever, right? And it's like on paper, you go, oh my God, like I'm connected and working with this management team and they're the biggest in the biz, but they couldn't help me. Because they're, you know, whatever their connections were or their rollout, like however they kind of like push their artists, they're in avenues that like are so far, you know, disconnected from where I was in my career that it's like they couldn't help me even if they wanted to. You know what I mean? The joke was at the time, it was like when I was working with this management group, I was like, if I need a limo to get to the Grammys, they got it. They're fucking awesome at it. You know what I mean? But if I need a gig at the Roxy, they're terrible at it.
0: You know, right. like
1: they couldn't help me at the level I was at,
0: you know? That's interesting. I never thought about that, but that's so true. Like if you're working with someone who's all the opportunities are for top tier, 100 million monthly listener Spotify acts, then there is no place for the the, the 200,000 listener, like yeah. independent <laughs> musician. Like, the yeah, the opportunities are different.
1: That's it's been like kind of the funny side of my career <laughs> it's like i've been in rooms and i've worked with like such you know huge people but they couldn't help me because i was like i needed to be like at a few tiers up you know to actually receive the help
0: right yeah does that make sense kind of it does it does
1: it's not a bragging thing i'm not saying like i'm i'm i the shit i'm in all the biggest rooms with the biggest it's like i just so happened to get there you know and uh do a lot of hard work, but unfortunately it's like, you know, so many pieces have to fall into place and uh, to make the next move, the appropriate next
0: step. Yeah. I wanted to, can we, can we tack for just a second? Yeah. There's a decision that you made that fascinates me and I really love it because Mm. it reminds me of some of the decisions that I made. I don't know. I don't know what years it were, but maybe around the same time. But you had a publishing deal with Ryan Tedder, mm-hmm. and you, you ended up parting ways with that deal at some point. Why did you make that decision? I know why you did it, so I'm, I'm setting you up. But <laughs> to me, it's your passion for doing Davis yeah. is what you wanted. And yeah. I feel like you could see that you were on a road that wasn't going to take you to full committal to Davis. And I okay. think that's an amazingly impressive decision to make. And I'm sure that was really challenging um what was it really hard to be like hey this is a great situation but i really want to chase my thing and do my thing
1: yeah definitely man i mean first of all thanks you know uh for that compliment and yeah you and i instantly bonded over kind of similar experiences there but um yeah why i left i thought about it honestly like i kind of deliberated over about a year on like should i leave i mean this i'm crazy right ryan tedder biggest producer in the world. Like I'm a songwriter. He likes my songwriting. Like, why wouldn't I just stick with this? You know, but the core came down to this or the core of my answer. Why I left, I thought about like, why did I get into this in the first place? Why did I pick up a guitar? Why did I start songwriting? Why have I pursued this path? You know, that got me to that point. Like what were the reasons and the motivations? Am I still being true to those? Am I fulfilled? You know, and, um, those are hard questions because like, yeah, ultimately I was not fulfilled. My goal as a songwriter was to write my songs and have a voice and, you know, let people know where I'm coming from, not pitch, you know, do op shit to Megan Trainor. You know what I mean? Um, no offense, <laughs> no offense, <laughs> no offense to Megan Trainer. um, Or like pitch songs to Rihanna or pitch songs to, you know, Lana Del Rey or like all these artists, like, and these are all big artists and, you know, bless them, they're all very successful and they all have a lot of co-writes. But that just wasn't my path, you know? And it was kind of like, I felt like it was just, it wasn't fulfilling anymore. You know, my goal, yeah, I guess it's just, my goal wasn't to work really hard and write 10 choruses to land a co-write on a Miley Cyrus song. There's nothing wrong with that if people, that's their motivation, but that wasn't my motivation. And uh, I really had to kind of look myself in the mirror and think about it for about a year while I was still working with Ryan and decide if I wanted to keep going down that path or be true to my artistic motivation and intent for Davis and just keep pursuing that. Ultimately I chose myself. I chose Davis and uh, from a songwriting point of view, I'm as happy as, as ever. You know what I mean? I, I write what I want, how I want for myself. I express exactly what I'm feeling, you know, and, um, my life in the last few years has been, you know, been met with so many different challenges and so many different like struggles here, there ups and downs and in between that, like, I'm really grateful. I can write about that and those experiences and get that out only under my name. You know, yeah. So that's the core of it, man. It's like a lot of guys go into songwriting and they just want to get a co-write here or there. They don't care for what artist, they don't care what genre, blah blah blah. And you know, bless them, that's a path. I know a lot of those guys, um, and uh, that's just that's not my path. That's not what got me into music. Whether it's Bob Marley or John Lennon or Bob Dylan, I mean, these are the guys that like I truly am inspired by, and uh, I just I try to kind of if I can, you know, write in those directions for myself first.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And yeah, like I said, I just, I really, I'm a big fan of people that make those hard choices. Like, you know, I quit my salary engineering job to work for myself yeah. because I, I wasn't totally stoked with the way that I was heading. Anyway, yeah, yeah. we totally connected yeah. on that. Cause I, I love people that, I feel like everybody at some point in their life oh, realizes oh. that they might be chasing something that is not really what they want. Mm-hmm. And I hope people come yes. to that conclusion sooner than later. You know, some people go their entire yeah. life chasing something just to find out that that wasn't it. and um yeah. I feel bad for for that, but it takes like like you said, like reflection and looking back and being like, "Man, I'm learning so much from this situation, but the road that I'm on is not the road that I started out on. like I took some yeah. detour. I'm in some small town, have an amazing barbecue, but I yeah. got to get back on the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I
1: mean, you know, leaving my publishing deal and songwriting deal with Ryan, it was my Jerry Maguire moment. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, and that's a, literally, that's a hard, as you know, and your experience too, it's like, that's a fundamental crossroads to be at, you know? And I mean, I wrote my song "Roads" about that experience, um, and And others as well. I mean, people, man, I've turned down opportunity, not just Ryan Tedder. I've turned down other opportunities that people, even my family and friends have like scratched their head at me going like, why the fuck would you turn that down? What's your problem? (laughs) Are you trying to sabotage your career? Like, what are you doing? You know, but it's like, dude, I, I just, I come back as a songwriter and I just come from that angle and I go like, will this fulfill me? Like, is this the path I want to go down? These days, you know, a lot of people, they, they value money. And like you mentioned, you know, having a steady paycheck. And of course, when you have a publishing deal, like you're getting an advance every month, there is value in that, but there's also value in your time Yeah. as a songwriter, you know, time is everything because you have to write all the themes all the time. You have to devote time and energy to your craft. And so if I'm, let's say given day, I'm spending most of the day crafting choruses for other artists that doesn't fulfill me as a songwriter as much, you know, it's fun. It's almost like, okay, cool. I built this product. Now you take it away, but you know, if I devote that time now toward like my songs for myself, it's way more fulfilling, even if they're not a hit, quote unquote, you know what I mean? Like that's all good. And that, the hit thing, that's a whole different conversation. What is a hit? But like, quote,
0: quote unquote hit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially these days. Yeah.
1: Anyway, sorry for rambling.
0: No, that's cool. I mean, I think um, the modern songwriter job is kind of, a newer thing because mm. more people know that there are professional songwriters. And so I think there are people now that are all about, like you said, like, I just want to write songs for everybody I can, but yeah. the world that you came from, like your inspiration, you know, growing up is you're talking about like Bob Marley and the Beatles, you're talking about people that wrote their own music. Like you didn't grow yeah. up that way. Yeah. So I could totally understand why at some point you would be like, this is not how I started, you know? Yeah. 100%. And I can totally see why somebody wants to write hit pop songs because that's what they they grew up reading the names of, you yes. know, Max Martin and Ryan Tedder on the back of their CDs. Yeah, if, if they were old enough to own a CD at this point. But yeah, yeah, anyway, I just I wanted to talk about that. Because in this show, we always talk about like, you know, making big shifts and like making hard decisions. And
1: Yeah, you know, I tried it, man, I tried the new model, I tried doing a co write with a bunch of people, blah, 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 you know, and your one name on a long list. And, um, you know, that's okay. It's almost like I've been there done that. And I got what I got out of it and I moved on, you know, and right. I moved back kind of back to my roots. I'm almost like the, uh, I'm like the character in like a Hallmark movie. You know what I mean? She, <laughs> she's been focused on her career for so many years and now she's going back to her small town roots <laughs> and meets her high school sweetheart all over again.
0: That's um, amazing. That's, <laughs> anyway. that's good. Uh, all right. Well, if you have a few more minutes, I got three quick questions for you. Yeah. Um, one, I wanted to talk about creating with limitations because we do a lot of work yeah. together, and you send me amazing song after amazing song, and you have Thank you. millions of streams, the mil- millions and millions of streams across all the the platforms. Yes. Can Can we talk about what gear you use in the studio and why it doesn't matter? <laughs>
1: it's like this is the studio, okay? Like, um, that's an SM Seven. That's new. That's a big purchase, you know, Uh, (laughs) but I have nothing. I have nothing. Um, like I have no gear, you know, uh, (laughs) and how I got into producing songwriting is a different game, right? But producing for me, how I got into producing was like, how can I make the most out of the fewest things or how can I make the most out of nothing? You know, can I make a song sound good with the worst gear? You know, my Logic, it's not updated. It's years old. Um, You know, don't have a fancy mic. Most of the songs I sing a 58. Most of it's one take just because, like, my computer's about to crash. You know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like, these are the limitations that have kind of informed the production. And half the sounds in there are, like, random samples I've gotten, like, recorded the wrong way, you know? And um, it started out as a game, especially coming out of the pop universe, the the big machine, right, where we worked in the best studios, let's say, and the biggest and the nicest and, you know, blah, 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 with the best gear. I thought, let me do the opposite, just for fun, like, just to humor myself. And uh, can I make something sound good on a $400 acoustic guitar, as opposed to a $10,000 acoustic, you know, or whatever. And I started like surprising myself, you know, and just going like, oh, I, I think I'm onto something here. And, uh, it's also informing this, this hopefully from my point of view an authenticity, you know, because, uh, I'm making the most of what I got and I'm starting humbly and then slowly over time, I'm building it. So I value nice gear. I value options, but... I, I like limitations because it limitations inform artistry, right? It's like rock and roll is just three chords, but what you do with that three chords is art, right? It's like everybody from Buddy Hallway to Led Zeppelin to Nirvana. I mean, these are just three chords, but look at like the spectrum of yeah. awesomeness, you know? And um, that's kind of how I look at songwriting and I look at production, you know, it's like, what can you do? With just the most basic stuff, can you actually make art with it,
0: you know? I I think it's, I I love mixing your tracks because it's it's such a distinct sound now. And we've worked together that I feel like I understand like what you like now, but I just, I love like pulling all those tracks in. And I'm just like, I know how you made them. And I was like, these sounds are so dope.
1: Oh, like,
0: thanks, man. I was like, I don't know, I don't know what he did, but I just, I, I just love how you layer everything to give it the Davis sound. Because like, you sent me like a bio that said it was like listening to John Lennon through a post-apocalyptic <laughs> like pirate radio or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. Uh, but I, thanks, while we're, we're talking about Davis, the visual. Davis mm. is more than music. Davis is, and maybe this is a question that I should have started with earlier because I don't know if it'll be a long one, but it is a full brand and a full visual, and it's a thing. And like you said, you have yeah. your partner that works on all the visual side. A, when did you know that it was a full package, like that it yeah. was all together and that you needed to have like a creative director with you? And B, does that keep it more exciting and more interesting? Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, you know, I was gonna say just real quick, um, you know the bio you mentioned and just like if i had to sum up my production it's like i'm somewhere between the velvet underground and travis scott you know what i mean so like people can picture whatever that means that's me but you know talking about the visuals um over time, the visuals became more and more important. So when I started this project, Davis, I had a friend who was a director, and it was just like, hey, can we shoot us something, just go around? We were living in Colorado at the time, and I was like, hey, can we go around Denver and just shoot a bunch of shit for a video for my first single? And we did that, and... Uh, we started getting a little bit excited about the visuals, but it wasn't like a big deal yet to me, you know, it was just like, Oh, cool. What a cool music video, you know, every artist needs one. But then, uh, I brought her in more seriously and more focused, you know, the last few years and said, we had conversations. I said like, in order for me to be excited about Davis, I think the visuals gotta, we gotta do something, you know, something interesting. We gotta, we gotta step that up because like I love gorillas that's one of my favorite bands and that's such a visually driven brand you know and um I've always wanted to do that and I always like respected you know bands and artists who have like the whole package and uh so I was talking to her my creative director and um we just started brainstorming and we just got excited you know we just left like hey in order to keep Davis fun like let's work on the visual side of things let's challenge ourselves in that way as well and um She's, you know, amazing at that side of it. And, uh, you know, we've known each other for so long and collaborated for so long that now it's basically like equally important. It's like the music and the visuals, we work on them at the same time. A lot of times, like I'll be recording the song in one room and she'll be in the next room, like creating the visuals for that song, you know? That's awesome. um, Yeah. And like, you know, we shoot videos while even for the songs mixed, you know? Um, we start shooting and we start getting ideas and all that stuff just to like keep ourselves entertained and and keep it interesting I just I love bands and artists like throughout time that just have a whole package you know from the Beatles of course to John Lennon to you know I mean like I said the Strokes another huge influence Um, Gorillaz I mean Beck I mean these are artists who have strong visual identities and um, I think Davis it's like if it didn't have the visual side, I wouldn't probably be as passionate about the project. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. Well, it's it's it just gives you more to dive into. I don't know. I'm mean, yeah. like I'm of the mindset if I get really excited to like learn new things and like mess with new things. It's yeah. Hence how I'm in, ending up doing a podcast and interviewing people. But yeah, yeah. it just keeps keeps life interesting if you just keep tacking on new things to play with.
1: I mean, yeah. Do you find that too? It's like you look for new challenges now you look for new avenues to do things just to keep your brain active
0: yeah i mean i love grabbing a new a new thing just doing the socials for the podcast and having to learn how to use illustrator and figure that out and like what looks good what doesn't look good it's kind of it's just fun yeah it's
1: fun and it's it's necessary i mean like right now for better or worse like it's like we live in a visually driven culture more than than musically driven right it's like the visually everything is more you know as far as in the mainstream you know it's like it's it's a visually driven society and people care about visuals they're very important these days but there's room to play with that and bring in the audio experience and the visual there's like you know that synergy there's room for that now i mean it's like i love on spotify you got these like little canvases or whatever they call them where it's like there's a little visual while the track's playing yeah that's dope our youtube audience is like is our, our most devoted or first Davis. It's like the most devoted fan bases on YouTube. And it's like, it would make sense. We should have a visual experience for them, you know? And they really dig that. And um, that gets me excited. And like now when I write songs, especially when I'm coming up with lyrics and, and production things, like I kind of think about almost like the editing of a video, you know? So when I, when I show my creative director, like the demo, I'm like, I know she'll start getting ideas visually from it. You know what I mean? It's almost like I kind of produce with a video in mind, if that makes sense.
0: Uh, No, I think that's totally valid. I think that totally makes sense. I forgot to mention to people how amazing your lyrics are.
1: Oh, thanks, man. (laughs) You know what's funny is for a while, this was a couple years ago, I was writing lyrics like little phrases and like little blocks that for some reason we're always working out to be about like 14 seconds, 15 second little blocks and um, like a whole complete phrase, right? Like a tweet, for example. And I think it was because subconsciously the Instagram story is all 15 seconds long. So it's like writing lyrical phrases that would fit in that story, you know? (laughs) So we could share the song and just share one clip and be like, if a person doesn't even hear my song or see the video, but they only see 15 seconds, they get the whole vibe, you know? Yeah. And I, I I kind of still think along those lines, like I write every song. So if I'm working on the lyrics for one song, I write it as if like, this is the only Davis song someone's going to hear. That's it. You know, I hope they'll hear the others, but I go like, if that's the only one, then it better be fucking banger. It better be lyrically. Like almost like every line is its own hook. You know,
0: the metaphors and the just the, yeah, the way you put your lyrics together, they are like, they are hooks. That's a great way to describe them. Thanks man.
1: I, you know, I remember even even Ryan said to me once, uh, Ryan Tedder. He said, "Like your throwaway lines are most people's hooks." You know, and I was like, "Thank you." You know, such a good compliment. I was like, "Thanks, man." Like that's such a nice thing to hear as a songwriter. And you know, I pardon everyone if I'm not just trying to brag. I'm not trying to be like I'm the shit. Look at what he said. But I was humbled by that, and I I remembered that, and I keep that in my mind. That's something I learned. Like okay. How can I write so that not only I convey the emotion, I convey my point, but um, can I make it interesting for people? Can I cut the shit and get to the essence of what I'm trying to say? You know, that's like, that's the goal.
0: Cut the BS, you know? Well, writing lyrics that are super concise and like really clear, but also witty, I mean, in any genre is just really, really challenging.
1: It is, yes. I mean,
0: think of all the hit songs that are just just throwaway lyrics, repeated words and like Definitely. mean nothing, you know? Yeah. And it's that's
1: that's the thing. I'm too I've been writing for too long, I'm too old or too experienced or whatever. Like I can't just, you know, bullshit like lyrics. Like I can't just sing something that I know will rhyme well or I know even like melodies too, I know will stick in your head. It's like if the message isn't something I want to say, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to slave away, you know, for weeks on writing the song and then I'm going to slave away for a month producing it. And then we're going to shoot a video. It's like, that's a lot of work. So like, I better be really into the lyrics, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. That's how I look at it. You
1: know what I mean? You know, a lot of massive artists I've seen this, like, you know, been, after being in rooms with big songwriters, big producers and, um, and also, just listening to you know mainstream artists, like a lot of a lot of lyrics are kind of an afterthought, and just they're thrown in there to kind of catch your ear and distract you. But from a songwriting point of view, they actually make no sense. You know, <laughs> like yeah, and that formula has worked throughout time. It's like, dude, you could there's even Beatles songs we know that don't make sense, but. I think whatever it is for me, if there's an authenticity or something genuine, like even if it doesn't make sense to the listener, as long as I know where I was coming from when I wrote it, then I'll feel satisfied, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. I agree with that. So I got one last question. I close the show with it. Um, What right now for you is your biggest goal, um, whatever goal you are willing to share, and what is the next smallest step you're gonna take to go towards it?
1: That's a really good question. Right now, today, my biggest goal is to write country songs. In the past, I've written and pitched for country artists, okay? Like mainstream guys, like big guys. But I want to get into the level from a songwriting point of view where I'm, I'm tapping into, like, the Woody Guthrie, the Hank Williams level of country music that's truly, like, American folk history, you know? That's, like, as a songwriter, that's my biggest goal right now. I'm so inspired by that. Like, when you look... Throughout, you know, pop music history, it's like country has such deep roots and folk music has deep roots here in America. And, like, there's some amazing songs and an amazing lineage of songwriting there that, like, really excites me. I never fully had the guts to explore that, you know. So my biggest goal right now is to get into writing country music. Every day I'm taking small steps to write toward that. So... I hope that answers the question. I mean, that's, no,
0: that's, that's great.
1: That's from a songwriting point of view. Um, and that's, that's how I judge everything. I mean, that's what excites me today.
0: That's cool. Are you going to take these country songs and davis on them?
1: Of course. Of course. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: It'll be somewhere between
1: like Drake and Woody Guthrie. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that, <laughs> that's probably what'll come out, you know? Um, but that's me, man. I, you know, I, I I love like smashing influences together that don't normally go together. Um, And I think there's a lot of room to do that in popular music and in country music. And uh, it's exciting. I, you know, I go for drives and uh, I hear people playing two types of music right now, hip hop and country. And uh, most of what they're playing is pretty shitty in my opinion. And, (laughs) I'm not saying hip hop is shitty or country's hit shitty. I'm saying they're playing. I it's like, I want to show them and tell them like there's better songs like that you could be listening to right now. You know, I don't mean to sound elitist or harsh in any way, but like, I just, I feel compelled as a songwriter to be like, okay, Hey bro, I get that you like country music. Let me, let me try to show you the way and pull you into like the broader spectrum of country. That is awesome. You know, um, there's a, there's a, deep well and it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's it's you know every different type of song has been written and they're all awesome but like let me show you that way you know or even if it's like hip-hop it's like dude i get you want to blast like you know just the most top 40 hip-hop right now i get it there is some good stuff in there but like let me pull you come on let's go deeper and find the real shit that's really good you know
0: yeah well i think historically the people that really Define a genre and inspire the most popular artists are not really well known by by, by the populace. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? The the people that the current hip hop stars are like drawing influence from are probably not as famous as they yes, are. Or 100%. same country. You know, pop country. A lot of people listen to pop country, but they're not listening to Willie Nelson. You know, so exactly, yeah,
1: hundred oh. percent. And I mean, it's like I I'm not. You know, I don't I don't want to be just like an elitist or be like a like a hipster snob or whatever and be like, hey, man, you like Dirk Bentley? Like, fuck that. You know, it's not about that. Like, um, <laughs> I get why people like that. I don't think any hipster will ever say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what they're saying anymore? Um, everyone's <laughs> a hipster now. Uh, but no, it's not about like it dude, whatever gets your rocks off that I get, if you like mainstream music, that's cool. And I get why people gravitate toward that shit. And it's like, as a songwriter, I just, I want to like, be like, okay, it's like a challenge. Like can I write a song that's both authentic and like true to that genre, but also catches the ear of just like, you know, an average person. You know what I mean? That's like, that's yeah. the ultimate goal. And, um, that's, yeah. When you talked about goals, that's my goal is to try to like, connect with people who are listening to mainstream country music, but like show them stuff that, you know, helps their ear go toward the more, like the deeper roots of it, you know? It's awesome. That's great.
0: Do you want to drop a website or socials in there so people can find you? It'll all be in the show notes as well. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, just at unofficial Davis, that's me everywhere. There it is. Unofficial Davis. Dude, this has been, uh, this has been so much fun. I'm glad we get yeah. to hang out. We'll, we'll probably talk tomorrow about that mix. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the mix notes. Should I get into those finally, you know, <laughs> turn the guitars yeah, let's, up, let's turn the vocals down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on, dude. This is, uh, this is great fun. Thanks Travis. Thanks
1: for having me, man. I really appreciate it.
0: And that's it for episode 36. Thanks to Davis for coming to hang out with us. And if y'all are enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely do that so you don't miss out on the latest. And finally, don't forget to join us over at completeproducer.net. So on that note, I'll see you next week.